Father, we thank you, Lord Father, for this precious moment you have given us. And as we stand, Lord Father, to receive that which you have for us, I pray, Lord, that you will open out our hearts and our minds, Lord Father, to receive unreservedly, Lord Father, that which you have for us, Lord Father. I pray, Lord, that you will prepare every one of us, Lord Father, to receive your word. And I pray, Lord, that your word shall indeed fall on good soil, Lord Father, that it shall bear fruit, Lord Father, and it shall be good for us, Lord. I thank you, Lord, for every one of us who is here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Will you please take your seats? Thank you. You know, as I was sitting there, I realized that uh, every day is a day of learning. I don't know whether you know that, but it's a fact. It's a day of learning. And as Brother Claudie was telling us that we are going to play football in Lao. I said, wow, this is something new to me because football has always been war. You know, even the World Cup is war. Okay. But we, we shall see tomorrow that we shall have a different, probably that's why it's called the novelty football match. All right, so we'll score goals against our own team. Okay, that's love. Okay, let the other team win. Okay. Well, as I was, uh, as I started preparing the message for today, I suddenly realized that God has an impeccable sense of timing. Now, I will elaborate on this as we go along. I also realized that God is absolutely in charge of everything that happens in the life of a believer. Nothing that happens in your life or my life is an accident. God knows it. God planned it. So it might sometimes come as a surprise to you or to me. Okay, that is not part of the planning. Okay. However, we will see that God assures us of certain things. And if you are a believer, rest assured that when God shuts one door, he opens another door. God is totally in control. Now we will talk more on that later as we go along. And so we continue our seven-part series on the revival of the church. And we are using the letters written to the seven churches in Revelation as our roadmap. Now please remember that what we are trying to understand from what God is telling us is not about knowledge. It's not for us to build up our library of information regarding the Word of God. It is, how do I take the Word of God, how do I take what God is telling me, apply it, understand it, apply it in my life, and then see the fruit of that application. Because it is only when we apply the Word of God in our life that it will bear fruit. And so, as we go through this study today, let's try to internalize it. Let's try to personalize it. Let's try to say, how does this apply to me? What is God telling me today? It doesn't matter what God is telling your neighbor. 
it might be a different thing because God knows every one of us. God knows our circumstances. And our circumstances are different. God knows the way we think and we all think differently. So God will minister unto each one of us differently. The words may be the same, but God has this unique ability to highlight one thing to one person and something else to somebody else from the same words. Okay, so let's let God work in our lives. Let me again emphasize that this is not a lesson in history. Nor is it about letters written to churches in some faraway land, in some distant past. The letters, the seven letters, yes, they were physically written on the island of Patmos by the disciple John. And each of these seven letters was addressed to a church, but all the letters were written for all the churches, because the letters were meant to be read in all the churches. And over the last couple of months, we have read five of those letters. We will go on to the sixth letter today. The words of commendation, the words of criticism, the warnings, the rewards for the overcomers were meant for the church of all ages. It was applicable many, many years back. It is applicable today. And it is applicable till the point when Christ takes the church away. In other words, everything written in these letters is written to you and me today. It's not about a church in Asia Minor. It's not about a church in some distant past. And so let's look at it that way. So will you turn with me to Revelation chapter 3? And we will read verses 7 to 13. And I shall read it from the New King James Version. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength, have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. Because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God. And I will write on him my new name. He who has a year, let him hear what the Spirit says 
to the churches. I have titled this message as Revival in the Church, Empowering the Faithful. Now this letter, as you all would know by now, was the sixth in a series of seven letters and it was directed to the people in the church in Philadelphia. Now Philadelphia itself was not any great city. It was not the most important city. It was not the most populous city. It was not the most commercially viable city. But it was a city which had a church. Now it was a city that the Greeks used in their travels to Eastern Asia. So when the Greeks wanted to travel to Eastern Asia, to Asia Minor, uh, in order to spread the language of Greek, because that was one of their intentions, they wanted everybody to learn Greek. Just like the BCCI spokesperson said that every Indian must learn Hindi. You know, uh, yesterday he said that. Well, now the Greeks, their plan was that everybody must learn Greek. And so they were moving into Asia. And for them, the route to move into Asia was through Philadelphia. And so Philadelphia was often called the gateway to the east. So it was more like a traveling town than a town where people would stay and have run big businesses or whatever, that kind of thing. The name Philadelphia itself means brotherly love. Phila or Philo is love and Delphia is brotherly, so brotherly love. And this originated from the fact that uh, the king of that region, who was King Eumenes II, had gifted this city to his brother Attalus II to rule over. And so it was a brother giving this city to another brother and say, this is yours, take care of it. And in recognition of that brotherly love, this city was actually renamed as Philadelphia. Okay, brotherly love. So it's a city of brotherly love. Now, interestingly, you will see as you go through this uh, uh, few verses, that brotherly love actually became a part of the character of the people of this church. That was something that they all followed. It is an instruction from the Lord that we love one another. And the people of this place, knowing that their city was called Philadelphia, brotherly love, they actually applied it into their life. It was a small church. It was not a very big church. It was not a strong church. It was not filled with powerful people. But yet the people of that church practiced brotherly love. In John 15, chapter 12, Jesus says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. This is my commandment. Now a command is to be obeyed. It is not to be considered whether we can obey it or not. A command is something that we have to do. And so Jesus Christ was telling the, his disciples at that point, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And what is, how did he demonstrate his love for the brethren? He gave his life. He did everything. He gave, he just hung on that cross. 
carrying their shame and your shame and my shame. But he was prepared to demonstrate what brotherly love is. He was prepared to demonstrate when he said, just as I have loved you, you love each other. It essentially acts for sacrifice. And this is what the church at Philadelphia was apparently known for. Again, in 1 John verse, chapter 3, verse 11, we read, For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Okay, this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Now, it appears that the people of Philadelphia took this command very seriously. Okay, they obeyed. They understood that command. They knew their city was known for that. And they themselves followed the principle of loving one another. Let's move on. Now, as in every other letter, Jesus begins by introducing himself. And so you see in verse 7, he actually gives the longest description that he has ever given of himself. If you read Verse 7, he says, He who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts, he who shuts and no one opens. This is Jesus. That's his description of himself. By calling himself holy and true, Jesus Christ was actually equating himself with Jehovah, God the Father. And he was declaring it. I and my father are one. And here is the church at Philadelphia to whom he was telling you, to, he, to whom he was telling, I am holy. And so when he said that he was holy, the people would immediately recognize that he was using words that were used to describe Jehovah God the Father. Because the people of, the, of these churches knew their scripture. They knew the Old Testament. They knew the various books, the manuscripts, the, uh, the scrolls, in which the words that we now recognize as the Old Testament were recorded. And so they would be able to recognize that in Leviticus chapter 14, Verse 44 and 45, God told his people, Be holy, for I am holy. This is God. He was saying that. And now Jesus is saying, I am holy. And the people would recognize these are the same words that God the Father said in those early books which Moses wrote. Be holy, for I am holy. This is what God said. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 2. You shall be holy. This is what God says. You shall be holy, for I, the Lord, your God, am holy. You shall be holy, for I, the Lord, your God, am holy. King David knew this. King David recognized this. In Psalms chapter 22, verse 3, he says, to take just the first part of the verse. But you are holy. 
and then he goes on. It's a, it's a, it's a psalm which starts off by saying, Lord, why have you forsaken me? And he says, but you are holy. So everybody recognized that God the Father is always described as holy. And here Jesus was saying, I am holy. I am the holy one. So the people could recognize that the one who was addressing them in this letter was God himself. It was God himself who was speaking to them. But we also need to understand something else. Unlike many of us, Jesus Christ never wasted words. He never used words unnecessarily. So when he said that he was holy, was he giving them some other message also? Was he trying to tell them something else? Could they understand something else out of what he was saying? Yes, indeed. History tells us that like every other city in Asia Minor, Philadelphia also had its own resident God. Every city in that region had its own God. And the God of Philadelphia was a God named Dionysius. Okay? And Dionysius was the God of wine, vulgar entertainment, and unholy revelry. Look at that. Jesus Christ has just said, I am holy. To a people who are living in a city whose resident God is the God of unholy revelry. All kinds of things used to happen. The worst of practices used to happen during, there was no morality. All kinds of unholy deeds used to take place during any festival raised up to God Dionysius. It was in this environment that this church was residing. And it was to these people that God said, I am holy. So he was saying, I am very different from what you see. The world is unholy. The world is filled with vulgar entertainment and revelry. But I am holy. And when you think about I am holy, think about what God the Father said. Be ye holy, for I am holy. That was a message he was giving them. So they could recognize that yes, our lifestyle needs to be different. We are being addressed by God who is very different from what we see around us. The world around us is not our world. The world around us is a world apart. We are actually set apart. We follow a God who is holy. And this holy God is writing to us. He is now telling us, he is reminding us that it doesn't matter that you are living in an unholy world. I am holy. So be ye holy. The question for us today is this. What about us? What about you? What about me? Are we holy? Are we living holy lives? Or are we enamored by the vulgarity that the world around us so freely dishes out? Is that what is cap cap catching our attention? 
has the world so trapped us that we have forgotten to be holy. We are holy only between 12 p.m. and 2 p.m. on Fridays if we come to church. You see, that's what we need to understand today. Because God says, I open doors which no one can shut. I shut doors which no one can open. Now we want God to open doors for us. And there is a reason. But prerequisite number one, I am a holy God. Be holy. If you are my church, you need to be holy. Then goes on. He says, he is one who is true. That's the way Jesus described himself. He described himself as true. In other words, Jesus was telling the church in Philadelphia that he was authentic. He was genuine. He was not a counterfeit. He was not a false god. In verse 9, he describes the synagogue of Satan. He calls them liars. They say they are Jews, but they are not. They are counterfeit. They are not the true thing. Jesus, on the other hand, is authentic. He's genuine. He's true. The church could depend on Jesus. The church could depend on every word he said. The church could depend on his promises. And so when he says, hold fast, which is what he said to the church a little later, hold fast, you could trust him. You could trust him and hold on to everything that he has said. <coughs> and then Jesus goes on to say that he had the key of David. This is the way he described himself. One who is holy, one who is true, one who has the key of David. Again, the people in the church at Philadelphia would probably have understood this one because Jesus was quoting from the book of Isaiah, which was a very popular book in olden day churches. Today, probably we remember Isaiah 53, which is what we use for every Christmas. But remember, there are many other chapters also in Isaiah. Okay? So let's just turn to Isaiah chapter 22. And we're just going to read three verses. We're going to read 20, sorry, uh, 20 to 22. This is Isaiah chapter 20. But the actual story starts in verse 15 of chapter 22. We won't go into the details of that. God brings judgment upon a guy called Shebna. A guy who had the key of David. And he started misusing that authority which he had when he was given the key of David. This guy called Shebna misused that authority and started building his own future. He started practicing corrupt or improper uh, things. And as a result of that, God said, I am withdrawing this authority from you. And then he says in verse 20, Then it shall be on that day 
that I will call my servant Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah. I will clothe him with your robe and strengthen him with your belt. I will commit your responsibility into his hand. He shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. The key of the house of David I will lay on his shoulder. So he shall open and no one shall shut. And he shall shut and no one shall open. The exact words that we find in Revelation. Now what was the authority Eliakim had? The authority was that anyone who, had, who wanted to approach the king had to go only through Eliakim. He would open the door. If Eliakim did not approve the person meeting the king, sorry, you were not going to meet the king. If Eliakim approved of you, you would be able to have an audience with the king. You would be able to enter into the throne room. Remember, the king sits in the throne room. And Eliakim had that authority. He had absolute authority to stop anybody. History tells us that ministers, courtesans, people who have been in the presence of the king in the past could be stopped by Eliakim. If he said enter, you enter. If he said no, you don't. That was his authority. If he opened the door, no one could shut it. And if he shut the door, no one could open it. That was the authority which was with Shebna. Because he misused that authority, it was withdrawn from him. It was given to Eliakim. And now Jesus was saying, I am he who has the key of David. So he was telling the people in the church at Philadelphia that he was the holy God, the true God, the one who had the authority to open or close doors. If we have to enter into the throne room of God, throne room of God, if we have to stand in the presence of God the Father, who do we go through? Jesus Christ. Because in John he says, I am the door. I am the door. So if you have to go to meet God the Father, because your prayers are directed not to Jesus Christ. Their prayers are directed to God the Father. Jesus Christ is the advocate pleading for us. Jesus Christ is the door. Jesus Christ is the authority which allows your presence with God the Father or not. And that's why you need to know the Lord Jesus Christ. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, why would he open the door for you? You need to have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to accept him as Lord. Because he is the only door we have to the future. Anything else you attempt to do is just hitting yourself against walls. And you're not going to go through. And that's what, Je that's what Jesus was telling the people of Philadelphia. I have the key. And I have the authority 
to open the door. And when I open the door for you guys, no one is going to close it. It doesn't matter about those false Jews, the, the synagogue of Satan, those who call themselves Jews, it doesn't matter what they say, no one is going to close it. I have that authority. That's why we need to trust Jesus Christ. When a door closes, remember, it is not your boss who is closing the door. It is Jesus Christ. Why does he close the door? Because he has a better door for you, which he will open. Now, I've, I will mention something that I have mentioned in the church quite some time back. Something that happened to me about almost 14 years back now. Uh, I was then the head of department, and uh, due to the early uh, omanization process, they told me that I would have to hand over my headship to an Omani. So I said, that's fine. Um, and I handed over, and so I left my office, and a person who was working under me till then, she took over as the head of department. And uh, within the first 48 hours, I think the first day or second day, she called me. Now she's sitting behind the table where I used to sit. I'm standing in front of her, and she did not invite me to sit down. She said, Leslie, if you go from here. Now, till, till that point, I was Dr. Leslie. But now that she's the head of department, I became Leslie. Okay. <laughs> Leslie, if you, were, if you were to leave this place, where would you go? I said, well, I'll go back home. What's the problem? I have a country, I have a city, I have a home. I'll go back. Will you get a job? I said, none of your business. <laughs> Is she going to give me the job? No, I said, no, that doesn't concern you. Okay. Then she said, do you know that I have the right to, uh, to terminate you? I, I told her something. I don't know how I got the boldness to say that. I said, no, you don't. I said, she said, what do you mean? I don't. I said, if God wants me to be here, there is nothing you can do to get me out. If God doesn't want me to be here, there is nothing I can do to remain here. She said, oh, you believe your God that much? I said, yes, my life is all about believing God. When I didn't, I was in trouble. Do what you want. She was my head of department for some time. She's left. I'm still there. So the authority to open doors, close doors, is with Jesus Christ. Okay. So if you are knocking on doors for them to open, stop knocking on those doors. Knock on Jesus. Turn to him and say, where's the open door that you have for me? He has an open door. All you need to do is ask him for that. And so then Jesus goes on in verse 8 to the recommendations. Uh, sorry, the commendations. The commendations. And he just starts off by one very simple statement. I know your works. He said this in every church. I know your works. And then he went on to elaborate on that. But here actually Jesus Christ kind of stopped at that point. He said, I know your works. He left it for a moment in that way. 
And then he says, I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it. For you have little strength, have kept my word and have not denied my name. Okay, so his commendation is, I know your works. Didn't elaborate on it at all. And then he just says, I've, I've opened a door for you. Okay, we'll come to that in a bit. See, it was at this moment that I recognized that God did not allow me to talk about this church last year. My desire actually was that I would finish the whole of the chapter, the book of uh, the, the seven churches last year. I didn't want to carry it over into this year. But God has different plans. And that's why I say God's plans, timings are impeccable. Ours are skewed up. But God has perfect timings. And so, as I was going through this, I said, this is the way God plans things. It's not about me. It's not about the church. Okay? This is the year of the word for this church. Okay, that's what we have declared it. This is the year of the word. And God is simply reminding us that he values his word highly. And he expects each of us to value it and obey it completely. Because when you look at this, the latter part of verse 8, he says, For you have a little strength, have kept my word. God never said this, Jesus Christ never wrote this to any of the other churches. But to the church at Philadelphia, he says, you have kept my word. You are in an unholy place. You are in a place which is very easy to pull you away. Yet, you are those with little strength. You are feeble. You are not a big congregation. Yet, you have kept my word and you have not denied my name. That's what God wants us to recognize this year. Have you kept his word? And his word is not partial. You can't say, I believe a lot of things that's there in the Bible, but there are some things I can't accept. You either accept it completely, or don't accept it at all. In the next church, God says, I would rather you be hot or cold, but not be lukewarm. Take the whole thing in its entirety. Or discard the whole thing. But don't be selective. Don't say, I'm going to pick and choose those portions that fit me. That my small intellect is able to understand. And I am not going to bother about those portions which goes against the modern way of thinking. Okay, so we need to be careful that here the church says, Jesus Christ says, you have kept my word. He did not say, you have kept most of my word. In, for God it's all or none. And you better believe that. So if you haven't read Ecclesiastes, because you can't pronounce Ecclesiastes properly, find out how to do that and read it. If you haven't read Song of Solomon because it embarrasses you, enjoy Song of Solomon. It's a story of love. Okay, don't confine yourself to the Gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, John and Judas. 
There are 66 books in the Bible. They form the Bible. Read every one of them. Choose today that you will keep his word. Because that's what God commended this church for. He said, you have kept my word. I recognized also at this point that for many of us, doors are closing. But if you are a believer, putting all your faith and trust in God, please understand that God is in control. Okay. There is another awesome revelation that Jesus Christ was giving to the church at Philadelphia. He was setting before them an open door that no one could close. Now what was this open door leading the church to? Through, what, through which open door was this church going to go into? The next chapter, chapter 4 of Revelation, verse 1, the first part, John writes, after these things I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. Here is a door through which the church at Philadelphia, Philadelphia was invited to enter into the throne room of God. Eliakim had the key to the door which allowed somebody to enter into the throne room and then he could meet the king. Jesus said, I have the key of David and I am opening the door for you. Which door is he opening? In our small thinking, we always look at our immediate needs. And we say, I'm losing my job. I need a door to be opened. My finances are going down the drain. I need a door to be opened. My family is collapsing. I need a door to be opened. Okay, yes, that's our immediate needs. Those are our immediate doors that need to be opened. But God is looking at it in a bigger way. He said, I am opening the door of heaven, the throne room of God, where God is sitting, God the Father is sitting. That was being opened to the whole church of Philadelphia. Now, wouldn't you like to be part of that church? Wouldn't you like to be in a situation where now God says, I am opening the throne room to the Bread of Life Fellowship, Musket Oman. Every person who is here is, is going to come there. You know, what a great joy that would be if you had that assurance. And that was the assurance Jesus Christ was giving to the church in Philadelphia. Why? Because they kept his word. Because they did not deny his name. That's the only message for us. Can we please keep his word? Can we please not deny his name? Because then... The door opens. And you will see when we come to the next book in Laodicea, the people shut the door. And God had to stand outside the door and say, Behold, I stand and knock on the door. If he had shut the door, he, can't he open it? But here, he says, I have set before you an open door. You have an invitation to come into heaven. This is an awesome surety to the people. 
Remember, they were not a big church. They were a feeble church. They were living in an unholy environment. But they kept the word of God. And God said, you're going to be with me for eternity. And to confirm that, he said something else a little later. So the question we have to ask ourselves is this. Do we keep his word in its entirety? Do we not deny his name? Do we persevere and hold on to his word? And do we do what he commands us to do? If we have answered yes to all those questions, the door to the throne room of the kingdom of God is open before us. If not, we are like the foolish maidens that we read about in Matthew 25. They danced, they reveled, they forgot the oil, the door was shut and they were outside. And it doesn't tell us anywhere there that the door was reopened for them. Five went in when the door was open. Five stayed out because the door was shut. Pray that you will not be one who's outside the door, but that you would be in the throne room. How many times, now this I'm addressing to those of you who don't know the Lord personally, how many times have you had and have you heard men of God standing at this pulpit asking if you desire to accept the Lord as your personal saviour? Time and again you have missed the boat. Go back to Genesis chapter 6, chapter 7, chapter 8. A time will come when the Lord will shut the door. Just like in the time of Noah and the great flood. When the boat was being built, there was an opportunity to repent, taste salvation and enter into that boat of salvation. Yet a, point, a time came when God shut the door from outside. Noah couldn't open it. God shut the door. And hundreds and hundreds of people perished. In fact, everybody perished in the world except six people. Today again I'm asking you right now, if you don't know the Lord, but if you want to accept Him, as your personal saviour, repenting of all that you have done, knowing that your future is only in the Lord Jesus Christ, you may raise your hand. I am not even asking others to shut their eyes, because this is beyond getting embarrassed about others. This is your future. There was a time when I also was like, Many who did not know the Lord. And yes, I was embarrassed. But there was a time when I accepted the Lord. Nobody commented, commented on me. Nobody said, oh, you have suddenly become holy. Nobody said, oh, you have suddenly become, uh, you know, those people who scream and shout and church and say hallelujah, hallelujah all the time. Nobody said anything. And so I was wondering then, why did I wait so long? I'm only glad that I didn't die before that. 
So unless you are sure that you know that you will live tomorrow, it's okay. Otherwise, take a decision, take a call when the call is given. Do you want to accept the Lord? It's your future because He's the only one. Jesus is the only one who opens doors. I am the door and when I open doors, it remains open. When I shut the door, it remains shut. He holds the key of David. To this church, God doesn't end promises. He keeps on giving them. This is such a beautiful church to him, Philadelphia. So he continues in verse 9. He says, those people who are harassing you, those people who are bossing over you, those people who are troubling you, those people who claim to be from the church of, uh, I mean the Jews who are of the church of, uh, of Satan, of the synagogue of Satan. Okay. That's okay. Let them say what they want. But there will come a point of time when they will recognize that I have loved you. You see, look at the words. Huh? He doesn't say they will recognize that you have loved God. Everybody loves God. But they will recognize, those people who are harassing you, will recognize that God loves you. You see the difference? It's such a simple thing for us to love God. Because we are very free with our love. Especially, today is what, February 14th? Oh, Valentine's Day, okay. See, today the, the, the word love is going to get thrown around like nobody's business. But the key is, it's not about you loving God. The key is about God loves you and the world is going to see that. You see that recognition? That's a promise again given to the church at Philadelphia. That the people who are troubling you will recognize that the one true living God loves you. And they will come and fall at your feet. You see, the church was feeble, but it was the church which obeyed the Lord. It was the church which followed his word. It was the church which refused to deny his name. Did Jesus Christ find any reason to condemn the church in Philadelphia? Not one. He was commending them, he was promising them things for the future, but he did not condemn them. Unlike other churches. Now, if you actually do a comparative analysis of all the seven churches, you will find that Philadelphia, the faithful church, the church which has not been condemned at all, is actually sandwiched between two highly condemned churches. Sardis, we saw that last time, and if you remember that, it is the dead church. And Laodicea, which is the lukewarm church between two churches which actually had the harshest words from Jesus Christ, in the middle of that is sitting this small feeble church of Philadelphia, which God says is the most faithful church, is the church which I am going to take in its entirety to the throne room of God. So you see how, how Philadelphia would have felt they were not big in the eyes of people around them, they were not big in the eyes of churches around them, and yet in the eyes of God, they were the biggest. They were the best. They were the most faithful. Wouldn't you like to be in that situation? 
wouldn't you like to be a Philadelphian for that matter? And now don't immediately think that you're going to Pennsylvania and the USA. I've got no clues how you're going to go there. Okay? This is about the church in Philadelphia, which was situated in Asia Minor. You're not situated in the North American continent. Okay? Then come the promised rewards. Verses 11 and 12. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown. God's already given the crown. The crown of life has been given. The only other church where the crown was promised was the second church, Smyrna. And here he says, you've already got the crown. Just hold fast. Don't lose it. Goes on, verse 12. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. He shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. So, first promise. The overcomer would be a pillar in the temple of God. Now please recognize that in the kingdom of God, there is no physical temple. So why do you need a pillar? A pillar holds a structure up. But a pillar is part and parcel of the church. It's part and parcel of a building. So when Jesus, when Jesus Christ says, you will be a pillar in the temple of God, he was saying, nobody can remove you. You are permanently in the presence of God. Because in heaven, it's all about God. And they were told, you will always be in the presence of God. You are going to be an immovable structure. Nobody can take you out from there for any reason. That's how important you are going to be in the kingdom of God. I'm setting an open door before you. Come along, become the pillar there. Become part and parcel of the kingdom of God. He told them that. And then he told them, you're going to be given a threefold ID. Now all of us, contains, all of us hold ID cards of various types. Okay, whether it's your passport, your other card, your resident card, your social security card, whatever it is, we have different ID cards. Now, Jesus Christ is promising them a threefold ID card. And on that ID card, you will have the name of God written upon you, and no one can erase that name. So you are going to be surnamed by God. Number one. Number two, your citizenship is New Jerusalem. You are now a citizen of God's kingdom. It doesn't matter what your old citizenship was. It doesn't matter that you came from Philadelphia. Now your citizenship is going to be God's kingdom, the New Jerusalem. And then he says, you would have Jesus Christ's approval upon you. And that would be indicated by the new name of Jesus. This is a name we don't know. Again, the church would have recognized certain things. In the Old Testament, 
God was always described as the various Jehovah's that we sing about. Jehovah Rafa, Jehovah Sidkenud, various Jehovah's. God the healer, God the provider, God the restorer, everything. Because that was what God was doing. That is the character of God. He heals, he restores, he returns. He provides you things. He, he, he gives you a place. He, he does everything. So everybody knows that that's the God of the Old Testament. The current God is Jesus, whose other name is Emmanuel. What's the job of Jesus? What's the job of Emmanuel? The one who saves. In heaven, you don't need one who saves. You are the saved. You don't, know, you don't, you don't need a God who heals. You will never be sick in heaven. You're not, you don't need a God who provides because everything is there. So those names don't have any impact any longer when you are in heaven. So for your future, you need a new name. Jesus has a new name. It's got nothing to do about being the God who saves. It's got nothing to do about the God who heals. It's got nothing to do about all the names that we have used for God, the 250 plus names that we have. Because God is going to have a new character in heaven. That is a character we will know only when we get to heaven. And at that time, that's the character, that, that's the name that's going to be written on us. So your ID is going to be the name of God, the name of your city, which is the new Jerusalem, and the new name that you're going to be given. This is the promise and these are the heirs to the kingdom of God. Choir, can I have you up front, please? Today, church, I'm ending right now. If Christ were to audit this church, where do we stand? No, let me paraphrase that. If God were to audit each of us as individuals, where do you stand? Where do I stand? Do I, do you faithfully follow his word? His complete word. Do we, you and I, do we obey his commands and do all that he asks us to do? Do we patiently persevere and wait upon him and not rush for an answer? Do we hold fast to his name, his name alone? We don't deny him during times of trial. These are the questions you and I need to ask now. Can we please stand as we take this beautiful hymn, Trust and Obey, the choir will lead us. But as you sing, please focus on the words and make it your prayer.
to trust and obey no the shadow can rise no the cloud in the sky but his smile quickly drives it away not a doubt or a fear not a sign or a tear can abide while we trust and obey trust and obey for there's no come now where will you stand how will you relate with him will he be very proud of you what is he going to say about you what is the situation that you are passing through now that is giving you concern what is that thing that is disturbing your mind remember Jesus is holy. He has the key, not just ordinary key, the master key to open every closed door. What is that door that you think devil have closed in your life? You've heard today, he's ready to open it. All you need to do is to surrender yourself to him. Release yourself unto him. Believe in him because he has the master key. There is no door that this key cannot open. You need to establish yourself in him. Establish your relationship with him. Remember, only him has the key. But in 1 John 5, 5, who? Who is it that overcome the world? Only the one who believed that Jesus is the Son of God. You need to believe in Him. You need to trust in Him. In Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forevermore. Release all those trouble to Him. Leave that door for him to open. Don't think about the door that the world have closed. He's going to open them. 
in the mighty name of Jesus. And I pray today that every door, every door that you are thinking devil has closed, the Holy One that is holding the master key, we open it in your life in the mighty name of Jesus. Let us close our eyes. Almighty God, we want to appreciate you. We want to bless your holy name for your word that we have heard today. For reminding us that you are holy. For reminding us that you hold the key. Father, we commit ourselves unto you. Every area of our life that the doors seem to be closed. Father, we invite you into our life that you open all those doors in the mighty name of Jesus. Every closed gate, every barrier that Satan has set before us, the Lord is ready to open it. Father, we table all those doors before you. Bust them open with your mighty power in the mighty name of Jesus. Is it your job that is being suffered that you are thinking the door is closed? When one door is closed, he opens many doors. He has promised to open that double door, that double gate before you, that no one will be able to shut him. And I pray every closed door in your life, that Lord Almighty shall open it in the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you, Almighty God. Father, for every door that you have opened already, Father, they shall not be closed in the mighty name of Jesus. And for every door that you have closed, the door of sickness that you have closed, the door of accident, the door of evil things in our life, Father, let them remain permanent, closed in the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you, Almighty God. We bless your name for your son that you have used for us this day. And we pray that you will anoint him more in the mighty name of Jesus. Because we want to receive more from him. Father, continue to visit him in the mighty name of Jesus. Bless him, bless his family in the mighty name of Jesus. And let your name be glorified. Let your name be honored in the mighty name of Jesus. And as we go this week, Father, go ahead of us in Jesus' name. And as we step out here, every closed door once again, Father, Open them with your mighty power in the mighty name of Jesus. And for the door you have closed, let them remain permanently closed in Jesus' name. Thank you, everlasting Father. Concerning all our program within the week, Father, tomorrow the excellent men, they will be exercising themselves, have the, the football fun. Father, we pray that your presence will be with us there in Jesus' name. That that event shall be incident-free in Jesus' name. We are going there joyfully, and joyfully we will end in Jesus' name. Thank you, Almighty God. And when the sisters meet in the evening, let your name be glorified. In the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, because you are our Lord. For in Jesus' name we have prayed. Let us share the grace together in fellowship. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us now and forevermore. Amen. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our life, and we shall live in the house of the Lord.
forever and ever. Amen. And we shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. Amen. God bless you.